Well, we're still in the Christmas season, so Merry Christmas to you, even though we're past the day. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 The Common Sense Retirement Planning Text Line is 71307. Christmas is an experience. It's it's an immersive thing. You get things out there that are visually delightful. You listen to music. You go do things. You partake of things. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful season. And probably it is, in, in the modern era, it is probably epitomized in the uh, Bing Crosby edition of White Christmas. It has been sold 50 million times. Bing Crosby is the most recorded voice in the history of recorded voices. So here we have this most popular song of all time about a white Christmas written by Irving Berlin, who was a Russian Jew immigrant. So now Irving Berlin was quite the composer. He wrote it for the 1942 movie Holiday Inn, which is actually a good movie, except for there's one scene in there, and it's a very old movie, and in one scene, uh, because of the time that it was recorded in and the time that it was actually made, you have Bing Crosby and a bunch of other Caucasians in blackface, which makes it bad. But that was the way it was during that time. This was Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire, and they launched the song. Bing Crosby... Uh, he was the most popular star of his day. He was nicknamed the Voice of America. By 1954, it was so popular, it gave they made a movie about it called White Christmas with with uh, Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye and Rosemary Clooney. There's nothing like listening to Rosemary Clooney and uh, Bing Crosby harmonize. That 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 was you know, if you like that kind of old school stuff, I I love that kind of stuff. Now, White Christmas is much more than a hit movie tune. Irving Berlin was a very unlikely candidate to write it. But he did marry Catholic, and he probably learned some love for the holiday for her, from her. And it was not known certain where he composed White Christmas, though the Phoenix, uh, Arizona, Biltmore proudly and traditionally claims that honor and has a backstory to go with the claim. According to the Biltmore, Berlin had an idea to write the song while sitting beside the pool. And as he sat by the pool, he had a musical inspiration. And they wrote it down right, right uh, immediately. And he wrote the song for a movie. And Bing Crosby, who he wrote the song for, debuted it on radio on December 25th, 1941. Now that's 18 days after the Pearl Harbor attack. But a lot of people, you know, one of Bing Crosby's sons has told a bunch of nonsense about him. So they, they have, uh, they've sort of canceled him to a certain degree. I'm not one of them. Listening to Crosby sing, I mean, I heard him and Frank Sinatra sing together, and I mean, he just smoked him, smoked him. White Christmas is a very wistful, almost sad song, you know. But it takes the sadness and it turns it to something both comforting and bittersweet. But Bing Crosby, you know, before Bob Hope was going out there visiting people in Vietnam, Bing Crosby was singing in front of the troops during World War II. He fought on the eve of the costly offensive known as the Battle of the Bulge. 
And he'd been briefed by the people that was putting, putting him out front there what was about to happen. And uh, Crosby knew that some, most of the people, a lot of the people that he was singing to, they were going to be dead in just a few days. And he sang it anyway, fought back tears while he did it. He would eventually cite that show as the most difficult moment of his entertainment career. He didn't, uh, he didn't actually want to sing the song for the troops, uh, but, you know, he tried to cut that out of each set, but the troops would demand he sing it. And when American soldiers were polled at the end of World War II as to which individual had done the most to raise the morale, Bing Crosby came out on the top of the list, ahead of generals and two presidents. If you haven't seen the movie White Christmas, you should go check it out because Bing Crosby is singing this to a bunch of troops. He's a, he's in the army in this he's setting. He's a captain, and he's singing it uh, for a bunch of young GIs in the middle of a shattered building during World War II. And that wasn't acting for him. He'd stood there before facing a sea of young American faces, men who were not actors but soldiers. And they were, if they had not, if they not were not going to face death, they had just come from facing death. A lot of military veterans love; they know anything about the Battle of the Bulge. Irving Berlin's baby son had died on Christmas, so for him, the holiday would always have a undertone of grief for him as his family so the first time white christmas was heard which is a you know song it's a song based on grief a song based on the bittersweetness of certain things um a lot of all of america was grieving over pearl harbor the first time they ever heard it and yet all those grieving people loved the song because it had joy and sorrow mixed into it. The song helped America cope with the horrors of World War II. And it reminded soldiers and family at home that their loved ones far away. It brought back to mind a better time and place. And blended the longing and the sorrow of the present with the hope of the future. When it came along. It was the song that America needed at the time. And now we, li we, we listen to it and we sit back and we, if, we, if, we listen to, uh, if we listen to Bing Crosby belted out and everything, I, I, I always find it remarkable how he sounded. Because a lot of us that work in, uh, in the audio niche of media, we're always looking for that kind of sound that he just did effortlessly, uh, which is a nice, soft, deep-toned comforting voice that he had song ends with a wish for future and enduring happiness and of course the holiday cheer may your days be merry and bright may all your Christmases be white white Christmas was a song that was born in a cathartic overtone right I mean, you see that you see that on a constant basis. I mean, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, a lot of his music, his early music that was just so soul ripping, was based on his life. 
the series or the uh, comic book series, The Crow, which became a film, uh, that was based upon J.O. Barr's life. That was based on something that had happened to him in the past or something that he knew of somebody that had happened in the past. Whatever it was, it was all based on one of those moments where you get out there and this is an expression of coping. And inadvertently, Irving Berlin and uh, his muse, Bing Crosby, got out there and they created something that will endure through time. I mean, I think Ben Ben Crosby died uh, in the 70s. I mean, he died the way everybody should die. He died the way everybody should die. He just finished a round of golf somewhere in Europe. I don't know where it was. He looked at everybody and said, boys, that was a really good round of golf. And then he keeled over dead. Sudden cardiac death. He didn't even know what hit him. And I mean, if, if, if you can choose your way to go, that's the way. That's the way to go, where you don't feel it and you're just done. But I mean, he's been gone for 50 some odd years now, nearly 50 years. And still today, Bing Crosby is immortal. He will live forever, long after I'm gone. Long after you're gone, people will be listening and watching that film, White Christmas. And, and, embracing that feeling of hope so pretty nifty to have existed in this time when this is was was you know i existed in the in the lifetime of bing crosby that's pretty cool it's it's really cool as a matter of fact it's i don't know how cool it is i'll figure it out the guy in lewiston maine they knew a lot about him before he ever popped. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. I had tried to get him earlier. I didn't really expect to make this happen today, but thankfully he's made it happen. Joining us now from Dewey's Pawn Shop is Dewey Lemons. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm I'm good. How was your Christmas? Oh man, it was great. You know, Christmas is a a wonderful thing. Everybody's most everybody's in a good mood, and so that makes me happy. And puts me in a good mood too. How many uh, kids do you have, Dewey? I don't even know. I, I mean, I know I, I know you I got, got a daughter. Three. No, you got a son. Three. Okay. Yep, I got three. Everybody come home. Oh yeah, yep. Everybody came home. Had a good time. Got to see everybody, and you know, every, everything was good. You know, if it. If it wasn't pouring down rain right now, where I could get in a deer stand, that's what I'm. That's what I was trying to do. I'm trying to get in the deer stand, but it's just pouring down rain. Yeah. Well. So does that make you a fair weather hunter? Yeah, I guess. Have you got to that point? Do you have any? Do you have any arthritis? Do I have arthritis? Yeah. Anywhere. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. okay to have it, do we? We're getting old. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I got yeah. it all over. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can it. only imagine. So, I mean, yeah. Dewey used to stress. Dewey used to be a power lifter, and I mean, it was amazing what he could push away from himself at the size he was at the time. What was your max when you were over there at Holiday Health and Fitness? Was it four hundred five? No, no, no. I never got up. I never got the four hundred. I was. All, I, I just couldn't make it. I was always well, right. You up. repped with three fifteen. I well, that's different, sir. No, it isn't. It repping with if you yeah. do five reps with three fifteen, I bet you push four hundred five off your chest with no problem. 
No, well, I never could. <laughs> anyway, 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 anyway. Back to Mr. So how did the shop do? How, how do we do? Do we sell some guns? Oh, we had a great year. Had yeah. a great year. You know, the customers were good, and we had, um, you know, it was just, I can't say nothing else, but it was a great year. You know, we did good, and um, hopefully this next year is going to be as good, and I appreciate all our customers. We had a lot of customers, and um, this your, your little radio show here and everything did great for me. A lot of, a lot of people coming in talking about you. Um, <laughs> so I said, I said, well, that's good. that's a good thing. I said, I said, Bill's done us good here. Yeah, well, I mean, but, I've been cutting in yeah. on your bottom line, haven't I? Because everybody walks in there expecting, hey, I heard about it on Bill. I heard there's a special if I say Bill. They do, buddy. You you wouldn't believe how many come in. <laughs> they'll come in there and they'll make the deal. And they say, okay, now I want the Bill Frady deal. <laughs> now, something nobody knows is like my son went out there to buy a gun the other day. And I think you, you know, the story of the gun is that he wanted a gun that you didn't have. So you had to order yeah. it new and you got it in less than 24 hours. Yeah, that was that was a good thing, especially this close to Christmas. It's hard to get them in that quick, but we got it right in there. Yeah. So then my my son goes in there to buy it, and uh, Kendall's over there, and they're like, "Kendall, what's the Bill Frady price?" And Kendall said, "We normally charge Bill a little more." <laughs> <It's> right. <laughs> so, um, what's going to be uh, what's what what seasons are coming up that you're going to be having weapons going? Well, out it's for? it's it's still deer season for another week. Um, and then it's duck season. Um, I think duck season's probably good for another three weeks, I think. Um, but then usually in the cold weather like that, then I'll start, I'll start working on the, the critters. I, I think I actually got armadillos back in my yard. I saw a hole in my yard yesterday. So I'm gonna, I'll start working on them armadillos and, and, and coons and possums and stuff like that, getting, getting in my barn and getting in my garage and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's still, it's still deer season right now. And so, you you stand a good chance of still getting one right now. They're not moving like they were, but um, they're, this cold weather's coming in this next week, so they'll be moving a little bit. But it's just great to get out there. I hadn't had much time to get out this year, so the minute the minute the rain stops, I'm I'm heading out here in just a in fact a little bit. I hope it's going to stop here in the next couple hours. So good, and you're going to go deer hunting. Yes, sir. I yeah. got my I got my seven millimeter eight laying right by the door. Yeah, and I got my. Boots laying out there and everything. I'm just waiting on the rain to quit. Hmm. So, In any event, so, uh, what, what do you use to pop armadillos with? What do you what, what do you shoot them with? Man, anything I can get a hold of the quickest. You know, I got a, I got <laughs> I got a, I got a loaded shotgun propped up against the door, and um, and a flashlight right there. So that was that I can get them good. But if I go out if I go out hunting for them and you know try to get them in my yard at night, if I wake up in the middle of the night. I got a um, 22 Magnum with thermal, a thermal scope on. It. So that'll that'll do the job. Do them. 22 Magnum will just wear out a armadillo. 22 Magnum does about anything. It's just, you know, it's not. It's it's a little bit small for deer. Actually, it's way too small for deer. But you can, you know, you can kill anything with anything if you do it right. You know. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. You would. I, I mean, when you when you pop these, you don't like hang a few from the trees so that the other ones coming in can say, "Oh, we don't." Well, let's go to the next house. That don't work. I tried that, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> Somebody on the text line is saying that there's a duck die off. Is there are ducks dying off? Are ducks what dying off? Oh, I have heard the numbers were way down. Yeah. Um, but I haven't looked into it that much. Um, I, I've got some buddies who are serious 
diehard duck hunters, and they say the numbers are way down this year too. But I, I haven't heard anything of a dial for anything like that. No, I haven't heard that. I, I found something the other day, and you immediately came to mind when I found that. And I, I, I'm going to make an effort to put everything together to do this. But a while back when I got that raging hunter that I sold you, yeah, I, I was told it was coming in 44 Magnum, so I bought a fair amount of 44 Magnum ammo. I found that the other day. But you know what I don't have? What's that? I don't have a forty-four Magnum pistol. So oh, what'd you get? What well, I haven't. What did you get? Well, I sold it to you. It was the three fifty-seven oh, Magnum. Okay, one. okay. Well, you need to come on and get you another forty-four then. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's 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 going to be my goal for January is to get up in there and find some forty-four Magnum. I got to save my money though, even the Bill Frady price. Revolvers have gotten expensive there. They have gotten real expensive. They sure have. I've been. Um, you, you know, used to you could you could fall back on a Ruger and it would still be a really solid, good, durable gun. You couldn't wear it out right. because it was a little cheaper than the Smith and Wesson. But now the doggone Rugers are as you know expensive as Smith. Um, in fact, I've actually bought some Smiths here lately. Some new ones I've had come in that were cheaper than the Rugers. Right. So um, yeah, you're right. Revolvers have gotten real expensive in the last few years. I'd probably be looking for a single action. Yeah, they're fun. They they're they're fun to shoot and and by you know by far they'll do the the same thing. There's no there's no difference in the power or nothing like that if you're using the same caliber, you know. And um and they're actually safer for some some people shouldn't have a double a double action revolver. Some people should only have a single action to be safe. Yeah, I've seen some of those people. The recoil does strange things to them. Yeah. Strange things. Mm-hmm. Somebody's right. asking if you have any Magnum research, 44 Magnums. I do not in any Desert Eagles. No, uh, we don't have any right now. We are, in fact, we we had several right before Christmas, and they they went really fast. And I don't think we've had any in in the last in the last week. I'm pretty sure we hadn't had any come in. And do you have any eight shot 22s? Uh, revolvers, I think I do. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Yep. It's it's odd to ask. It's odd, very odd to ask Dewey if he has something in him. Go no, that's a that's 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 an anomaly in time. Yeah, we still got a bunch. I was thinking we were going to be really low on inventory because we were selling so good. But we were, I mean, we still been buying real good. A lot of people still selling collections, and a lot of people traded in a lot of stuff. You know, over Christmas, you know. So we we still got a bunch of inventory in there. I, I hear you sighing in the background there, Maestro. Your mic's open. We're, my son, we're, hey, we're closed today now. Be sure and tell everybody that. Yeah. We are closed today. We will closed not today. be back open. We will not be back open until in the morning. Yeah, but then it's wide open. Are you going to close for uh, New Year's? We will be closed New Year's Day, just just New Year's Day. That'll be, that's a Monday, though, right? Yep, that's Monday, yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, of course, we're somebody's telling me I should go. Somebody should. Somebody's telling me I should go look at it, the 629 they saw there. Although that's a little, I, I want a single act. I, I just like a single action revolver. I just think it's just so classically cool. Plus, yeah. I see I see some of these guys that can fire those things like four shots and it's a pop, 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 you know, like like Robert the, M- Bob Munden used to do, you know. In the forty four mag, that thing's gonna you're gonna you're gonna know when you pull that trigger in a forty four mag, especially <laughs> in them single actions. They're a little bit they're a little bit lightweight. You need you need to just come on over to the shop, try and to. um, we'll go out in the range and let you shoot shoot a couple of them and see how much you like it well listen 
I appreciate we'll you I, up. I really did not expect you to show up today. I tried to call you just to see if you're going to do it. But so thank you very much for joining me this morning. Hey man, glad to be there. I mean, I'm glad I could be here and talk yes, to you. Merry Christmas to you and yours. My regards to Miss Trish and the family. Tell Kendall I said hello. I will do it, and the same to you. And tell everybody Merry Christmas and God bless everybody. All right. Dewey's Pawn Shop. You can find him on. Uh, you can find him both on uh, Augusta Road and Traders on Wayne Hampton Boulevard in Taylor's. When we get back. Why did the police never confront Robert Card in Lewiston? This is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Robert Card, he was the... uh... He was the sick individual that attacked uh, a bowling alley in Lewiston, Maine, in a restaurant on October 25th. Killed 18 people. Then he vanished and killed himself. He uh, had a history of severe mental illness. He was involuntarily uh, committed to a two-week stint at a mental health clinic last summer. He was hearing voices, and he threatened to attack local a local National Guard base at nearby Seiko. Reportedly a 20-year veteran in the military and a trained firearms instructor. And uh, this was preventable. This shooting, this rampage killing was preventable. And the police were hesitant to confront this guy. Now, I'm not going to call Mr. Card a monster because he was not a monster. He was mentally ill much in the same way as the guy that attacked the D.C. Naval Yard. He was hearing voices, you know. The police declined to confront him in the weeks before this because they thought it would throw a stick of dynamite on a pool of gas. Which, you know, if, if, you're, if you're getting out there and you're trying to prevent a rampage killing, I don't understand why there would be any hesitation at all to confront the would-be killer. There's a video that documents a September 16th call between Sagadahawk County Sheriff's Sergeant Aaron Schofield and Army Reserve Captain Jeremy Reamer. Schofield was following up with him about the potential threat posed by Robert Card, who then carried out the attacks uh, in, on, in October. Now, military officials did what they were supposed to do. They alerted the police in September that Card had been hospitalized in July after exhibiting erratic behavior while training. He had access to weapons because he owned some and that he had threatened to shoot up an Army Reserve Center in Seiko, a city in southern Maine. So, instead of going to the perpetrator, the would-be perpetrator, they staked out the Seiko facility. Then they went to Card's home in Bowdoin for what Reamer described as a welfare check. Now, Maine has something called a yellow flag law, which can be used to remove guns from potentially dangerous people. And after Reamer said Card had refused medical treatment after his, uh, after his hospitalization. So that's a hurdle we have to deal with, he said, obviously. 
But at the same time, we don't want to throw a stick of dynamite on a pool of gas either. Make things worse. Reamer expressed similar concerns. I'm a cop myself. Obviously, I don't want you guys to get hurt or do anything that puts you guys in a compromising position. So the police in Lewiston were afraid to confront Card. In July, the Army deemed him unfit to own firearms. Three months before the deadly shooting, the leaders of the gunman's Army Reserve unit said he was behaving erratically, and they decided he shouldn't have a weapon, handle ammunition, or participate in a live-fire activity. After he underwent the medical evaluation over his behavior, they determined he was non-deployable due to concerns over his well-being, which means he's out. If you're non-deployable, you're done. So his unit was uh, notified of the restrictions. So his unit asked the Sagadahawk County Sheriff's Office in Southern Maine to perform a health and welfare check on the reservist. And the request was made out of an abundance of caution after the unit became concerned for his safety. This coming from Lieutenant Colonel Ruth Castro. She didn't provide additional details, citing an ongoing Army investigation. And this is why the story got snuffed out at the news cycle. There were laws already on the books that could have stopped this, and it's all about how they are enforced. And, yeah. There's two ways to deal with a rampage killer. Okay? You can try to catch him prior. Now, in this in the case of this guy, he probably didn't go through the five steps that a rampage killer goes through. He probably went from point A to point B because he was mentally ill. And and that's that's part of the problem. It is complete with, with somebody like him, it was completely unpredictable what was going to make him snap. And then he snapped. You can if if you if you catch him before he does it, you can take him off the street. Take him off the street. Don't take his weapons. Take him off the street. Put him in a facility. You're saving his life. You're saving you don't know how many other lives if you do that. That takes a certain amount of courage on the part of law enforcement to get out there and do it. Now, there's laws on the books in every state pertaining to that with somebody that's mentally ill. Somebody's asking me about the 44 mag. I don't know what kind of 44 magnum ammo I have, to be honest with you. I don't. They're not hollow points, so I, I I was just getting it to test a gun. In regards to this Lewistown uh, shooting and the shooter himself, um, nobody. He went into gun-free zones where no. I mean, Maine is a one of those states where everybody can carry a gun. It's a you know permitless carry state. But they do have gun-free zones, and he went to two of those. And there was no way to predict when this was going to happen. There was a way to prevent it. They knew about it. They knew about it a month, a, a, you know, a month and nine days before it happened. They knew that he was a threat. They should have done something about it. And they could have done something about it. They did not do something about it. Because of that, 19 people are dead, including one mentally ill shooter. Now, here's the thing. In that situation, if you're facing a shooter, 
and you have the capability of returning fire. You don't sit there and consider if they're mentally ill. You don't sit there and consider if uh, they have a family or anything else like that. What you consider is that you're here where you can be, and this guy's coming and he's trying to kill you because you're here. Whatever the motivation is, you're not concerned with that either. You bring your weapon up and you deal with the killer. Unless he goes somewhere where nobody can carry a gun. And if you're one of those that go to those places, which I'm not, if you go to one of those places, uh, it is actually on the people, it should be on the people that disarm you to keep you safe, but it doesn't sound like that happened. So this murder was completely preventable. They knew about him. They knew what he was. They they knew that he was going to do something, and uh, they did nothing. They did nothing, and then they have this. And guess what? It's not the gun's fault. Not the gun's fault. In this particular moment, and I will say this publicly, I back law enforcement to the nth degree. But in the case of the Lewistown Police Department, they did not do what they should have done. And because of that, 18 people are dead. Because of that, the, the shooter was able to operate. And because it was in a gun-free zone, they had to wait on police to arrive and all this other stuff. And he was gone, and there you have it. Going to go back to Manhattan. As we head out the door, this is News Talk 98.9 WORD. Manhattan just went through a level three riot. And they warned us. They warned us. GS Plumbing Talk Line is one 800 Common Sense Retirement Planning text line is 71307. Um, we've been warned by the Palestinian groups there's going to be no Christmas as usual during a genocide. I would say radical, but, you know, radical and Palestinian is the same thing. But they did warn us. And you just have to take it for the sum of its parts. The enemy attacks a peaceful country on October 7th, and they blame the peaceful country. Meanwhile, we've imported millions of people here who don't share our social contract, which means we leave each other the heck alone. And the imports warn us that we're not going to have Christmas as usual in our mainly Christian country because they're butt hurt. So they did warn us, right? Coming from The Guardian, thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters waved the pan-Arab colors flag and wore the symbolic Palestinian kefia in a series of coordinated no-Christmas-as-usual-in-a-genocide rallies and marches across the U.S. on Saturday. They're going after... They're sniping Christians sheltering in their besieged churches in Gaza and Christians in Bethlehem have declared their celebrations are canceled. People everywhere must continue to declare there can be no Christmas as usual during a genocide. They're doing this... In New York City, L.A., San Francisco, Toronto, and Chicago. Their chant now is NYPD, KKK, IDF, they're all the same. But then, 
they started arresting some of them and they, you know then they really started chanting but uh here it is here here's the way this is okay you punks you've come to the freest country on the planet and you riot in the streets on christmas day and you compare our law enforcement who showed a lot of restraint to the kkk you mouth-breathing morons you NYPD, they requested a level three mobilization for better handling of the pro-Palestine protesters. And between those two factions, there have been several altercations that have resulted in numerous officers being reported injured. At present, it is uncertain how severe the injuries are. There have reportedly been several arrests made by police. These are the people calling for a ceasefire now as they chant from the river to the sea. And uh, they're protesting in Rockefeller Square and or Rockefeller Center and St. Patrick's Cathedral on Christmas Day. Here's my thought on this. We are the host nation. Most of us did not invite these people here. Most people did not invite them here. And now they're here. And they're in places where they know they're not going to be fought by the regular people because regular people are sheep. But they also know in order to actually conquer the United States, they would have to eventually come to all of us. And uh, look for that. And be aware of it. Now, I myself... If an Arab were to come here and say, you know what, I want to join this and I want to do this and I want to be an American and I'm, I'm going to do all of this stuff, please take me and all this other stuff. And then they do it. Welcome to America, my brother. Because this is where you came. This is what this is. This is what you have come to join. If you join an organization or a country, uh, you know, there it is. So, if you don't do that, and if you're coming here to conquer us, you're going to die. You're going to die. You may not die in New York City. You may not die in Toronto. What were the other, what were the other cities? You may not die in Chicago or Manhattan, right? But you will come to a place sooner or later. And all of your all of your protests, right? It isn't Toronto or San Francisco, and then you're going to be met by a bunch of guys who used to be pipe hitters. And those pipe hitters are going to be tooled up. They're going to be pipe hitters again. And they're going to face you. They'll face you with the police or without them. Because these guys have a switch that you don't want to flip. And uh, that's your problem. When you come to this place, especially this area, this area would be suicidal for them to come and try to take. Suicidal. I, you know, when when I go, when I go to Upstate Warrior Solutions, I don't see a bunch of old guys that used to serve. I see a bunch of guys that have capacity. That capacity is what makes them dangerous. You don't have to be able to jump over a hurdle to be a dangerous person. And dear God, they're just all over the place around here. So, while everybody else is coming off of their sugar high, just remember this: we are going to be in. 
an altercation soon. Being aware that it's going to happen makes you forewarned. Prepare. Use that forewarning to prepare. Because they are coming. We, we, we cannot withstand this assault and not do something about it. The Palestinian way of negotiation is, uh, you know, raping babies, blowing things up, raping women till their pelvis, pelvics break, shooting dogs that walk up to them with a shoot, killing everything they see. That's their way of negotiation. And they're never satisfied. They're never satisfied with what they get. The only way to satisfy them is to let them go to the promised land. So step up. This is News Talk 98.9 WORD, the voice of the Carolinas.